This is the Humans of Gaming Podcast, an open and honest conversation about games, life, and belief. Welcome to Humans of Gaming. I'm Drew Dixon. I am the chief content nerd at Love Thy Nerd, and I'm joined by our chief executive nerd, Chris Gwaltney. Hey, Chris. Hey, what's up? I'm here. Not much, man. We're going to do this thing. We are. Have you uh, started Dark Souls 2 yet? You know, actually, I did. Me and Ryan started it last night, and I guess I didn't realize, like, because I've only played Dark Souls 3 and Bloodborne. And doing like co-op in that or multiplayer stuff is oh, so you guys easy. are like doing like yeah, yeah, doing like we're co-op. gonna like okay. co-op together, but it's a little bit more of a pain to do in Dark Souls too. Like the first thing you get, it only lets you co-op for like twelve and a half minutes, and then it sends you back, and so then you have to like summon them again. But then eventually you get one that'll like they'll stick around until you kill a boss or whatever. So we're just trying to like get through all the intro stuff so we can get to that point. I'm guessing it's a lot less intimidating playing that way. I mean, I yeah, we haven't gotten to that point yet, but I'm sure it is. Honestly, like I'm a little underwhelmed, at least from the initial. I mean, I've only played for like an hour or something, but I mean, maybe I'm just really good at Dark Souls now, but it's just like been really easy. I haven't felt like, oh man, I'm going to die any minute. That's that's the whole I just point must have you play Dark good. Souls. So <laughs> yeah, or maybe that's it. Well, uh, well, keep me updated. Yeah, keep I'm interested posted. to hear how that goes. Well, we have uh, two very special guests on the podcast, and uh, and they are from Game to Grow, and they're both named Adam. Hey, Adams. Hi. Hello. How's it going? So we have Adam Davis. Uh, why don't you say hello so we can try to distinguish the voices of the Adams? <laughs> I am here. Adam Davis. Adam Prime. Oh, and you are the executive director of Game to Grow. Is that right? I am an executive director of Game to Grow. <laughs> and exec, you're both yeah. executive directors. Okay, that makes it even harder. And then Adam Johns is also with us. Hey, Adam. I'm Adam Johns, or Adam 2.0. Mm, there it is. Oh wow, <laughs> that's just that's a strong. Maybe one of you there. just needs to speak with an accent the whole time. So I. I... I could do an accident, but it has a strong possibility of offending somebody. Oh, great. Or, okay. Let's take my, the my, my accents always end up sort of asymptotically ending up at a pirate. Yeah. Oh. We can start at oh, pirate. there you go. But then it turns into an Irish accent. Yeah, so. pirate, Pi- or, pirate wouldn't, like, offend anybody, I don't think. No, that's the safe one. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so, uh, where well, where are you guys from? Because I don't sense an accent in either of you. Well, funny you should say that. I'm I, Adam Davis. I'm actually from Texas. Um, okay. As most Texans always say, they're from Texas, even though they've been out of Texas for a long time. I've lived in Washington since 2003. Mm. So okay. I'm I'm still a Texan, though. All Texans will always be from Texas. And he can do yeah. a great Texas. <coughs> I can. <laughs> when, when, when they, what part of Texas? I'm did from you grow up in? San Antonio. Oh, okay. Nope. So you, we, we met. You and I met at at Pack South. So you were just in your your old stomping ground. I was in my yeah my old stomping ground. I was in the place of uh, cheese and you know just the best Tex Mex, and that's part of the reason why I go back to Pack South every year. Yeah. <laughs> all this great yeah. stuff we do with our our nonprofit organization. I also secretly love Tex Mex. Not so it's secretly. Not, it's, it's not, not a much secret. of a secret. Yeah, yeah. A I mean, it's not now. I actually have lots of Tex-Mex t-shirts that I wear with pride. <laughs> oh, nice. Yeah. I uh, I grew up in Amarillo, Texas. So, um, But Amarillo kind of has like almost a, a New Mexico vibe to sure. its Mexican food. So it's a little different from San Antonio. But I like, I love Tex-Mex. So it's, I enjoyed some of it while we were there. I would say it is a, a gift from the heavens. I, I didn't know I li- breakfast tacos were a thing until I went to San Antonio. Breakfast tacos is that a thing in other places, or is that just things. like is that a San Antonio thing? Um, it's not. It, I don't know if it started in San Antonio, but it's definitely a San Antonio thing. Like San Antonio is known for its breakfast tacos. I also lived a portion of my life in Harlingen, Texas, in the very very tip of Texas, and I also have family in Lubbock, Texas, and in Dallas, um, and in Waco or near Waco. So I have family all over Texas, and I can like sort of. 
describe the differences in the, in the regional Tex-Mex. Uh, yeah. But that's not why we're on this podcast. <laughs> well, it is now, idea. so let's um, get going. I'll talk, I'll talk all about the regional Texas varieties of Tex-Mex. There you go. And Adam 2.0, where are you from? Um, I'm actually, I was born uh, just outside of Philadelphia in Pennsylvania. Okay. Uh, but I oh, mostly man. grew up in Flagstaff, Arizona. Um, okay. Ooh, I love Flagstaff. Flagstaff's an, an absolutely beautiful place. Um, yeah. I, w- I would live in Flagstaff now if it basically would be not a dead end to my career. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, my <laughs> wife and I were just fair. there uh, last fall. We oh, went man. through Flagstaff, so we did like, we had our um, 10th anniversary kind of trip thing, so we went to Las Vegas, then we went to um, uh, Zion National Park in oh, Utah. It's and gorgeous, yeah. Yeah, yeah, and then we went to um, Bryce Canyon, and then we went down into Arizona and went to like uh, Antelope Canyon, which is um, kind of northern Arizona. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you know where, you know where um, Horseshoe Bend is? Uh, yes, I think so. You're not, so not too Canyon's far from the, just, like, the Painted Desert, right? Right, yep, yep. And so Antelope Canyon is like this world-class slot canyon with all these crazy formations and stuff. Mm-hmm. And then then we drove to Flagstaff and stayed the night there and uh, did all that stuff. So It's it's a wonderful place. I, I really loved growing up in Flagstaff. I did a lot of uh, like snowboarding and, and outdoor yeah. stuff. And we lived uh, literally like a block away from a national forest parkland, so... Um, we did a lot oh, of cool hiking, cool. and and it was a, a beautiful yeah. and wonderful place to grow up. It was like yeah, an hour the from the Grand Canyon. Yeah, I've been to the Grand Canyon enough times now that I can just call it a big hole in the ground. <laughs> it's not so yeah. grand. <laughs> it's a, I mean, I, yeah. it's a. Canyon. We just call it the canyon. Just call it <laughs> the canyon. Grander. I've seen grander. I've seen grander. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, that part. Of, I I think that part of the country is just a gift, man. It's so beautiful. So yeah. I'm jealous that you got to live there for a while. It's funny how, like, wherever you live, you it just becomes kind of like commonplace to you. You know, it's true. And there's, then, there's lots of the stuff that um, we talk about this living in in Seattle, where where Adam and I now now live, um, and uh, we don't really do any touristy things uh, that we probably could do. Like, there's lots of cool stuff to do in Seattle that we just don't do because yeah. we live here. Right. Yeah, we uh Seattle's a fun place too. Like the it's super touristy, but if you ever uh since you don't do touristy stuff in your own city, there is a touristy thing that I did there that I really enjoyed. Have you done the uh underground Seattle tour? I actually know one of the tour guides for the underground Seattle tour. So that that oh, actually is one nice. of the things I have done, but only because I actually know somebody who mm-hmm. runs the tour. Did, what did, what did you what did you think of it? Um it's super fun. It's it's a really interesting yeah, yeah. um people used to say uh, Seattle is literally built on top of another city, and I thought they were misusing literally, and they are not. Right. <laughs> it actually is right. built on top of another city, which is crazy. Yep. Yeah, um, it's it's like one of the most D and D things. Yeah, it's a. <laughs> I think any any city <laughs> yeah, can lay claim right. to. Um, there's like an entire you get your, uh, sunken cities below cool. this city. You know what? You would you could this would be a way to make a ton of money. So oh, uh, write this get down. your friend. Yeah, write this down. Get your friend who's a tour guide for the Underground Seattle and and do like exclusive D and D games under in underground in the underground parts. Really, the, the that's Seattle. a really super good idea. Yeah, you have to cut that out of the episode yeah. now because <laughs> you shared this really great idea with the world. Yeah. <laughs> that's or right. I've got to well, you just... capitalize on this before this episode airs. That's what I said. Write it that's down. Right. There's an organization called True Dungeon. Uh, they were actually at Pack yeah. South, and mm-hmm. they do these sort of um, uh, combination live action uh, like walk through dungeons with um, very sort of D and D esque um, uh, mechanics and things that you go through. Um, yeah, man, how cool would that be to do like a true dungeon game in the underground? Oh, man. Let's go make it happen. I, I might I might be able <laughs> yeah. to help make that happen. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, a tour guide. That's all you need to do. Right. In. So. Right. You've... Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, and that's where you have a leg up on everybody else who tried to do this. You know a tour guide. You know a guy, I, so you're good. I, it's all about it's all about knowing the right people. Sometimes that's all it takes. Yeah, that's right. Well, um, yeah. So tell us about Game to Grow. So Game to Grow is a five hundred one c three nonprofit that's dedicated to using games of all kinds for therapeutic, educational, and community growth. 
Most primarily what we do is we use the game of Dungeons and Dragons to help kids and teens build social skills. So we uh, have we see about 40 kids and teens each week, um, helping them to overcome challenges related to autism and anxiety and ADHD and depression um, by intentionally facilitating the game of Dungeons and Dragons to help them become more confident, creative, and socially capable people. We, uh, we started Game to Grow in 2017, but Adam and I have actually been using role-playing games to help kids for just about eight years now. And um, we've seen through all of those years just how much we can help kids grow by, by seeing themselves as the hero that their character is and translating some of that confidence and the social abilities back into their real life. That's, that's really cool. Where did this idea come from? Like, wh- when did you go, like, we could totally use this to, like, yeah, we discovered it largely by accident, and then we, like everybody who uses role-playing games in an intentional way, thought we invented it and thought we were brilliant. Um, so we, um, we're we not the first <laughs> one to have, to have done yeah. this. It just turns out that people who have been doing this for years and years um, haven't quite had the opportunity that we have to talk about it. So um, we started, yeah. like I said, um, right around 2011. So um, I was in grad school at the time and was getting some volunteer hours and getting some side gigs who were in the field that I was studying. And at the time I was studying drama therapy, I ended up with a degree with a master's in education and a specialization in drama therapy. But I uh, was studying drama therapy and I was um, getting my volunteer hours. And then I, I had somebody ask me if I was a dungeon master because there was a, a sort of an after school program where kids who needed a little social support, who were having some trouble fitting in at school, could go to this sort of open Dungeons and Dragons group and um, play D&D. Uh, so I was uh, hired on as a facilitator. And when I first came onto this group, it was largely unstructured. It was basically like any kind of game you'd see at a board game store or, you know, in a library or something like that. The kids were game mastering for each other largely. And, and you know, they were, they were enjoying themselves and it was an opportunity for them to connect uh, about a shared interest for a lot of kids who were really struggling at school. Uh, but then I started being the game master yeah. and saw that I could translate. So before this, did you have like a background in Dungeons and Dragons? Like, had you played yes. before? Yes. Um, I started playing in middle school originally. And like my middle school experience was um, like a lot of middle school kids' experiences, um, awful. <laughs> so, uh, Not the Dungeons and Dragons experience. No, just the, just the my middle school middle. experience. Yeah, just, yeah. yeah. I, I like yeah. really had a tough time in middle school. I was kind of a big kid who got bullied a bit. <laughs> And um, I really enjoyed Dungeons and Dragons as a way to like feel like I belonged someplace to have a team. And not only mm-hmm. that, but I could also like make the character that I aspired to be. So my character was charismatic when I wasn't. And my character was dexterous when I wasn't. Um, so I played yeah. a lot in middle school and then less in high school and then not at all in college. And then after I, I got out of college, before I got into grad school, um, I had a, a group of friends that I like randomly met at a bar. Um, who we like all shared this sort of geeky history. So we started playing again. And then pretty much from 2008 until like well into 2012, I think we were playing like once a week um, with the main characters. Mm. And and okay. so I got back into it around that time. Did you, did you quit because you like thought it was nerdy or geeky or whatever? No, I think... Um, because you said you quit like during high school kind of or, or or fell out of practice as much in high school. Yeah, it was it. largely because the game master that I w- we had um, went to a different high school than I did. So it just sort of I, I ne- uh, right. never game yeah. mastered back in middle school. I was a player. I would write stories. I would like write basically fan fiction for my character. Um but I never got into yeah. game mastering. So right. when I started high school, it was a, I was in a very different social group and and I took me a long time to get back into it. And and it wasn't through, it wasn't until after college that I got back into it. And then I realized with studying drama, I became uh, an actor in, in college. And, and for several years after that, I was in a lot of the fringe uh, theater scene around the Seattle theater scene. So I was um, pretty busy with that too. Like every night after work, I would go yeah. to rehearsal. So I didn't have a lot of time to do really anything besides work and, uh, and uh, mm. theater. So then after, after that sort of slowed down, I, I, built D&D back into my lifestyle. So um, so Adam approached me um, during grad school. So Adam and I actually went to the same grad school. Um, uh, that was Antioch yeah, was University, that? Seattle. Um, and I was okay. in a, a counseling program, a marriage and family therapy program. Um, and Adam was, like you said, he was getting his degree in, in uh, um, education with an emphasis in drama therapy. 
Um, and so he came up to me after a class. We did a, a sort of cultural presentation class where we talked about our like personal cultures that we belong to. Um, and Adam and I both presented mm-hmm. about being a little bit of a geek. I think we we might have both had dice in our in our presentation in, in one form or another. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> and he came up to me after the class, and he had just lost his co-facilitator um, for the group. And he said, "Hey, do you want to come and and play Dungeons and Dragons and get paid to to play it with socially awkward kids?" Uh, and I said, "Yeah, that sounds like a like a dream, dream job. <laughs> Sign me up." Yeah, yeah that was, that was basically that? my response. <laughs> yeah, it was. It was. I what wasn't pitch. that worried that he was going to say no. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. It seemed, seemed like a given. <laughs> so we came in and and um, yeah. uh, so this is this is just something that's true for Seattle. Uh, we were running the groups uh, on the east side of Seattle, but our school and we lived on the west side of Seattle. That meant that we had to cross bridges and a, a large body of water um and yeah. traffic in seattle is not great mm-hmm. um and so adam and i in order to avoid traffic we would go several hours before the group started and sit in a coffee shop and plan for our groups um and what we yeah. discovered as we started getting into this is there was a lot of opportunity to really start incorporating a lot of intentionality into the game of dungeons and dragons into how we were running mm-hmm. it especially as the as the dungeon masters and at the time, uh, the, right before we were running a, the Dungeons & Dragons group, the sort of other group that we were running was an improv group. And it was really easy to consider how uh, there was almost a one-to-one translation between an improv game that we were leading for these kids that were in our group and the sort of skill we were trying to get them to incorporate. We're, you know, A game focuses on eye contact or body awareness and really direct one-to-one translation. So then... Um, we started thinking about mm. Dungeons and Dragons in the same way, and we could use the Dungeons and Dragons story as a way to incorporate, not quite with the same degree of one to one, but we could we could start building very specific real world areas of social growth into the story scenarios that the kids could have. So we would build frustration tolerance by putting their characters through a situation that was really, really challenging or help them build their theory of mind skills through putting them, having them have to think about their character knowledge versus player knowledge. There's so many things we were realizing off the bat that we were getting started with. Um, one of the things that uh, cool. that we really noticed very early on um, was the opportunity to, to help characters and players really um, uh, understand their connection with each other. Um, and to play around with that as, as a dungeon master. One, uh, of, one of the things that I, I noticed and I said earlier is that like when I was a kid, I, I played very specific kinds of characters because I was in a particular place in my life. And I wanted to, I wanted to see through my character's mm-hmm. eyes and more importantly, see myself through my, through my character's eyes. So um, one of the things we saw uh, like right out of the gate was a lot of kids, especially the kids we were working with, and I think everybody does this, we play characters for a reason. And oftentimes we have this theory now that people play the character that they need to play. So we have a lot of kids even now who are choosing characters that either are ex- ex- extended versions of themselves or they are what we call aspirational selves. Um, as, as an example, really early on we had right. – um, uh, a player who was like really, really shy and they barely spoke above a whisper. And then they would like their character that they chose was a dwarf barbarian who was very unapologetic. And you can kind of see like right away that that's somebody who's wanting to play with how much space they take up and how, what volume they speak at and things like that. So then my job as the game master is to set them up to play with the dwarf barbarian as a way of experimenting and playing with what it feels like to take up space and be unapologetic. So, um, can you, I'm curious, like what is the, uh, the response been to like, can you give us like some, maybe, maybe one or two of the best stories of like ways playing Dungeons and Dragons with, with, with awkward, you, you said awkward uh, teenagers, high school, high school, uh, middle school. Yeah, mo- kind of mostly age, it's mostly. um, it's uh, well, a lot of middle school age. Uh, like Adam mentioned before, middle school is pretty horrible. So okay, um, yeah. right, yeah, yeah. So I'm just curious if you have like a couple of what were some of the best. Uh, absolutely, of we have we have a lot of this therapy. <laughs> so it really uh, it. There's, it's there's yeah. been so many years now that we've seen um, lots of kids push themselves to the point where. Uh, they grow tremendously. And we don't do like very analytical intake uh, assessments that then we do like 
you know, intake, outtake assessments or things like that. So um, mostly what we base our success criteria on are parents, um, uh, parents' testimonials, parents' um, responses. Um, and also we have kids that come back again and again. And a lot of our players have been in therapy for most of their lives and they've grown to hate therapy and they don't ever want to go to therapy, but mm-hmm. they'll like be really excited to come to a social group. Um, and a, a lot of social skills groups are like direct instruction yeah. and, and ours is not, ours is very play based. So a lot of kids are sometimes like having fun for the first time. So we have, um, mm. we have parents say stuff like that yeah. our group is the only time their kid looks forward to leaving the house. And in some cases is the only time they do leave the house. We have some of our players um, don't spend a full day at school. They have enough anxiety and depression that they have IEPs at school. So they don't spend a full day at school or they spend a lot of day, uh, a lot of the school day in like a degree of seclusion. And we had a summer camp this summer where some of those players who uh, participants who don't spend a full day at school were able to spend an entire day at summer camp for four days in a row, which is a huge sign of success and growth for those kids. Just thinking about like um, some of the uh, spectacular kind of moments and and stories. Um, uh, this is actually um, an older one, but early on in our in our uh, groups, we had a, a very classic um, uh, what I like to call the tavern start. Basically, everybody coming into um, the tavern and and um, uh, getting to meet, meet each other's characters in the in the tavern setting, um, and in this particular case, um, the tavern had a chest at the very front of the tavern that the characters had to put their um, weapons into, so they're not walking around the whole tavern carrying weapons, um, and then it would magically seal. Um, and all the characters came in. Um, we uh, had everybody describe and chat with the um, tavern keeper. In, in our games, we don't have any alcohol. Um, and so instead, everybody drinks frothy golden soup from mugs. Um, so they, they all chatted with the, the soup maven tavern <laughs> yeah. keeper um, and got their frothy golden uh, mugs of soup. And then they um, were sitting down and all of a sudden the tavern became attacked as skeletons burst from the ground and from the walls and started attacking uh-huh. the, the patrons and, uh, and the players. And we went around the group and basically said, what do you do to respond to these skeletons? Um, and some people cast magic spells and um, some people like picked up furniture and hit skeletons with it. And it came around to one player who held up his arms, uh, um, looking at sort of the inside of his forearms. And he said, I summon my weapons to myself. And he had designed his character with runic tattoos on the inside of his arms, which he could activate in order to summon his weapons to his hands. And I said, it doesn't work. Um, they're magically sealed in the chest. And <laughs> the player clenched his fists and he started to get kind of red in the face and he started to speak in very short breaths. And he said, if I can't summon my weapons to myself, then my character is pointless. Then wh- wh- what am I doing? Why did I even make the character this way? What, 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 what was the, the point of this? Um, he started to get really upset. And uh, Adam Davis turned to him and he said, yeah, your character is really angry. What does he do next? And the color came back into the player's face and he unclenched his fist and he says, uh, he rips the arms off the skeleton in front of him and starts hitting him with his own arms. And, uh, and I said, yes, absolutely. You, you uh, <laughs> take the arms of the skeleton and you beat him into re-death um, uh, with his own arms. Um, and uh, we use that as a purposeful technique, um, as a way to help um, the player be able to put the challenges that they have onto their character. Um, and it gives them an opportunity to have some distance from it, an mm-hmm. opportunity to um, have their character be the one that's struggling through a challenge rather than themselves. So they're not so overwhelmed by it. We see a lot of players, uh, and I can say this again and again, play the character that they need mm-hmm. to play. In that case, that was a a person who was uh, playing this character who was very powerful because they wanted to feel powerful. That was a, a thing they homebrewed these magic runic tattoos. So we which see, which is a pretty common theme. The the need for power is a very common theme within. Uh, yeah, and we we also see players that that make sort of extended versions of themselves and uh, in, in uh, including a lot of the sort of maladaptive uh, habits and sort of antisocial uh, 
um, behaviors. So we had a player who came in just very openly talking about anxiety and depression and seclusion and isolation. Um, and the character that this player had chosen to play was uh, modeled after the video game Franbo even stole the name Franbo from the video game. And in that video game, Franbo is a like 11 year old girl in an uh, insane asylum that has visions um, that everyone thinks is crazy and that uh, has a talking cat that only she can hear. So this uh, player had chosen a, a an, an avatar, if you will, that very much represented the kinds of struggles that they were dealing with in their real life. Um, and that of course <laughs> meant that that player uh, the character really struggled as much as the player did fitting in and interacting with the adventuring team. And, and over time, the, the player through the character got an opportunity to like see what it feels like to be included. And, and everybody else was excited that Franbo was there and Franbo was talking in that kind of British accent. And um, in the story, we had this, this, storyline where they had to go speak to the last remaining Dracolich to get its help to fight back against the emerging, the re-emergence of the Age of Green, where the plants are going to take over the world. And I had sort of designed this encounter as sort of a deal with the devil where they were going to have to make a tough decision and, and ally with someone they wouldn't otherwise ally with in order to save the world. Um, but the, the, they asked the Dracolich for his help, and the Dracolich said, why should I help you? I am the last of my kind and I have no friends and no family and no kin. And um, this player who is playing Franbo said, yeah, I, I know how you feel. I have no friends also. And it's really lonely. And the, the Draco Lich, who I had sort of designed as a bad guy uh, became an ally. They were like connected on this, this emotional experience of not having friends. And so they ended up helping the Dracolich make more Dracolich babies by, um, you know, poisoning the nest of a dragon. Um, and it became a redemptive story where the Dracolich got to be reconnected. And, and through that, um, that player got to see, got to see themselves in this uh, ancient evil Dracolich. Um, but really it was a very human experience that they were sharing. And then um over time, that player who was playing Franbo, the next character that they played was uh, a mobster who was like always connected to the mafia. <laughs> I first thought you said a lobster. Oh, no. That's not un unusual for some of our players right. to make totally outlandish things. But um, in this case, a mobster, like a member of the mafia. Yeah. And, and so this player who had chosen a very antisocial uh, character now chose a like hypersocial character who always had he built into his backstory that he had a like a device that could summon members of the mafia at any time <laughs> and these were all uh -huh. like npcs that i had to play so over time um after that he then the next character after that was a bard named mr shanty who could who was actually like whose goal in life was to make the world a better place through song so you oh, can sort great. of see how the the character that, that that this person was playing transitioned from someone who was very antisocial to someone who wanted to be social to then someone who was successfully social. That's really cool. And so I'm curious to, I'd be curious here too about like, do you have any parents that have stepped into this like pretty, cause I think, I think it's changing, but there's still a stigma about D and D right. Amongst, amongst certain parents who think of it as like, they may not, I think there's fewer people now who think of it as like demonic or something. But there are people who think of it as like, I don't know, like childish at best and a waste of time at worst, right? I mean, I mean, absolutely. And honestly, we, we do still very occasionally run into people who are still have a little bit of the scare from the 80s satanic mm -hmm. panic uh, period. Yeah. Um, and um, we, we are fortunate that we And they are come to you because they're like... Well, we've tried everything else, so we may as well try this. <laughs> might as well make a deal with the devil. <laughs> Most of yeah, well, might as well, right? Yeah. Uh, might as well. We've got no other options besides Satanism at this point, right? Um, no, the, um, most people who don't who feel that way don't ever come to us. Like right. there's sort of a selection bias where people who people who think about Dungeons and Dragons as being bad for you um, at best, um, they don't. They just don't contact us. 
but we do um, we we run tables at at uh, fairs and cons and and give a lot of presentations uh, both in the Seattle area and and around the U.S. And so uh, we do occasionally run into that kind of perspective in some of those settings. Um, in, yeah. Actually, in one occasion, we uh, were running a table at a homeschool fair, um, and uh, homeschoolers are a really interesting group because there's a wide divide of, of um, perspectives of why to do homeschooling. There's lots of people who do mm-hmm. homeschooling because they they believe that, that the schools aren't um, uh, educating the way that they mm-hmm. like for them to be educating, and they, they um, really want to have a different style of education, and so they... they um, uh, homeschool because of that, and then there's lots of people who homeschool because um, they want to have a certain amount of, um, well, sometimes a, a strong cultural or religious perspective that they want to um, ingrain in their in their yeah. education uh, for their children. Um, and so um, it's it was very interesting to do the homeschool fair where we had dice and Dungeons and Dragons books all kind of laid out on our on our table, <laughs> and we had. Uh, some people who would walk by and be like, wow, that's amazing. Um, and their kid might be wearing like a Spider-Man costume walking around the homeschool fair. Mm-hmm. Um, and we had other people who would uh, walk by and like give us the stink eye um, while, right. while we're um, running this. But one person in particular really stood out. Uh, we had a, pl- uh, a, a child, a, 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 young, a young woman who um, was coming by probably about middle school age. Um, and uh, really was so excited about our booth and came up and rolled dice and chatted with us for a long time and then said they they didn't think their mom would ever let them uh, come to a group like ours. And we said, well, you know, mm-hmm. um, why, don't, why don't you bring her back? We're more than happy to talk with her. We're, we're always happy to talk with, with just about anybody about about this, and, and uh, maybe we can convince her. And um, yeah. she said, okay. And at the end of the fair, the mom came by and said, so tell me about, about this, and we explained what we do using Dungeons and Dragons to help social skill growth. And uh, she told us a story about how her, I think it was her sister or something, uh, was corrupted by Dungeons and Dragons and Satan in the 80s oh, yeah. um, and uh, mm. and uh, never recovered from that and, and how uh, impactful it was. Uh, and she said, I don't mean anything offense to you. Um, I don't know you from Adam. And Adam and I are, are wearing name tags that both, that both say Adam on them. <laughs> right. And so we just both at the same time pointed to our, to our name tags. Um, and uh, she said, well, you know what I mean. Uh, but <laughs> needless to say, she, she did not enroll yeah. in, in her, uh, Which is unfortunate yeah. because I, I think their, her um, uh, daughter would have been a, a great fit yeah. for the group and would have really benefited. I, I'm 34, yeah. I think. And I, um, so I, I grew up mostly, most of my like early adolescence was in the nineties and I, uh, being from Texas, there was still a little bit of satanic panic when I was, when I was playing D and D in, in the mid nineties. Oh, yeah. And I learned how to play largely from my, my older brother and we played a boy scout camp. And there were times at boy scout camp where we would be playing, you know, with our lantern in the tent at night. And the <laughs> scoutmaster would come over to the tent and shake the tent and say, are y'all doing that devil stuff in there? You quit that devil stuff. Um, and we'd have to like throw our, our dice and our character sheet under the he cot didn't... that we were playing on. Um, and he didn't even know what it was called. Yeah, just, just, just that devil stuff. Just devil, devil stuff. stuff. Yeah. That, devil that, that and Magic the Gathering were both my, uh, my sort of nerdy things that we did at Boy Scout camp. I can't remember if I've told this story on here before or not, but like I, um, I didn't grow up like religious or anything. Like my parents weren't, you know, we weren't Christian or anything like that. And they still like thought that it was devil worship or something, which was really weird. Like I remember, you know, playing in like eighth grade and they had this freak out because I was doing it secretly because I wanted to play naturally. Um, and that was so, I just, it's still weird to me to think about like that they were still susceptible to this yeah. idea when it's like we weren't Christian. What do you say to somebody who's like skeptical of it? Like, obviously, there's going to be people who are so skeptical of it and think it's like demonic or something, and you're not going to get very far with them. But what it, have you had? Have you had conversations with someone who's sort of like on the fence? What do you, and, and sort of willing to hear you out? Like, what, what's your, what is your spiel, as it were, to ease people's fears about yeah, it? Yeah, um, we, we do talk with, with lots of parents who have heard of the game of Dungeons & Dragons before, but have never really seen it or, yeah. or really know what it 
what it looks like to play a game like that. Um, and most of the time, mm-hmm. I, I feel like a lot of the the hesitancy um, around games like that is really just that they don't know what it looks like. I think once you get it, get an idea for what it yeah. what the experience really is, um, it's hard to think of it as as a devil worship game. I mean, you're you're literally sitting around a table and and making jokes and telling stories together, um, and that's. Uh, not only like not clearly not not like sacrificing little, little small animals, but, it, but it's also yeah. uh, like a human experience that stretches back um, mm-hmm. uh, ages of, of us sitting around a campfire right. and telling stories. So most of the time, what I do when I'm when I'm um, um, encountering that first first I always want to assess for knowledge, so I always ask. Um, you know, what What do you know about it? Do you, have you ever played Dungeons & Dragons? Mm-hmm. Have you heard of it before? Um, and a lot of times the response I get is, oh, I've heard of it, but I don't really know much more than that. Um, and so then I say, yeah. well, so Dungeons & Dragons is a game where um, there are no screens. There's no um, computers involved. It's everybody sitting around a table with um, pieces of paper that tell them things um, and books that tell them rules about the game. There's one person who acts as the sort of, it's a storytelling game. So there's one person who acts as the sort of head storyteller. Uh, but that's a better term for, for skeptical parents. Dungeon Master, Dungeon Master, Dungeon Master sometimes, sometimes <laughs> goes over poorly. <laughs> but, but I will yeah. say um, right. they, they are the head storyteller, sometimes referred to as the game master or dungeon master. Um, but that head storyteller is yeah. also the referee. Um, they, they know all the rules to the game and they help navigate some of those rules. Um, and they describe stuff that's happening in, in a world. And all of the other players um, at the table are um, playing a single character in that world um, where they're going to describe what their character does given different circumstances. And then I give an example. And the example is a really important part because, frankly, it's hard to picture Dungeons & Dragons without seeing Dungeons & Dragons. Mm. Um, and the example is yeah. usually something like, um, so the dungeon master might say something like, um, you're walking into a, a cave. Um, you've heard that there's a great treasure that was buried um, somewhere deep in this cave, and you um, have taken it upon yourselves as a group to try to track down the treasure and, and um, uh, claim it for yourself. And so as you're traveling deeper into this cave, you can see there's stalactites in the ceiling that are dripping water down in the, into the um, damp, moldy cave. Um, but as you travel further in, you can see parts of the cave have been dug out. Um, as if uh, man-made tools have have dug them deeper, almost like a, a mine shaft. Um, and you travel further and further, and eventually the cave opens up into a, a large open cavern. Um, and there you can see that there's a large pit in the floor. Um, and across the pit, there's the cave continues down deeper into the cavern. But um, uh, clinging for dear life uh, above the pit um, uh, from a rope appears to be a small gnome. And the gnome uh, looks at you as you as you crest into this cavern, and and uh, uh, he has surprise and joy lights up on his face, and he says, "Oh my gosh! Thank you so much! I'm so glad you're here! Please save me!" And then the dungeon master says, "What do you do?" And the players then have an opportunity to describe what their characters do um, uh, in this in regards to the situation, and they have a piece of paper that describes. Uh, what kinds of things their character can do, like how strong they are or what equipment they have. Um, and, uh, and so they might try all sorts of different things to accomplish this task. They, uh, a fighter or strong character might leap across the pit and try to grab the gnome uh, on the way across, or a, um, a dexterous archer character might shoot an arrow with a rope across it and sort of tightrope walk across to, to help the gnome, or a wizard character who can cast magic spells uh, because this is a world that exists with magic spells, uh, might cast a spell that like gets the rope swinging so that the, the gnome can jump off on his own. Um, and that kind of creative problem solving is a big part of what we want to encourage as all the players are working on a team mm. together to overcome some of these challenges. That's great. Yeah, I think that's probably not how a lot of, like, I think a lot of people, parents especially, don't realize that that's a huge part of Dungeons and Dragons. Mm. And so... Um, and a huge part of games in general, like they're about creative. A lot, of, a lot of times, they're about creative problem solving. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and there's so much value to, to um, both storytelling and games. And Dungeons and Dragons kind of combines both those things in a, in a unique way. Yeah, we do a lot of really consultations cool. with people who are asking us how to start programs in in their locations. It's similar to ours, and the advice we always mm-hmm. give everyone is to make sure you're speaking the language that the person they're speaking to needs to hear. So when we first started, we yeah. had to learn this the hard way where we, we like 
were first starting the organization we ran before Game to Grow, and we went to talk to a PTA, and we tried to tell them about Dungeons and Dragons, and the response we got was "thanks but no thanks." And so we had to learn um, <laughs> learn the hard way, and it was yeah. it was very uh, very you know it was tough. It was a tough time to push through some of that that um, those voices of doubt because we we were struggling. Um, but what we learned is that people want to be told stories. People want to see. Uh, their particular person they have in mind through the story that we tell. So in the context of a parent, they really want to hear a story about how a kid is connecting and playing with their friends. Um, a lot of the parents that, that yeah. are, are interested in our groups, their kids don't have friends. They don't have a social group. They don't have people that they want to connect mm-hmm. with. So we can paint a picture of like yeah. kids who want to come to a social group and who might have an opportunity to exchange contact information with like-minded kids? That's that's a huge selling point for parents. Um, when we're when we're talking to therapists, yeah. we can oftentimes say, "Imagine a world where a young person wants to go to a social skills." Um, <laughs> imagine when a, a parent, a, a kid who wants yeah. to go to therapy, like that's that's a big deal. Um, and when we talk to teachers, it's oftentimes about right. this is going to help the kids uh, be able to work together better. We're going to help help kids not have to leave the classroom when they get mm-hmm. frustrated. We're going to help them build their their frustration tolerance, and we're going to reduce office referrals by helping them figure out how to deal with frustration and handle conflict. Not to mention, be excited to actually come to school yeah. each day. Or especially the days where they're going to have their Dungeons and Dragons group because they don't want to miss that that opportunity and are willing to to sit through the uh, challenging or boring classes in order to get to that. And especially they're going to have somebody to sit next to at lunch yeah. now. They're going to have they're going to they're, they're going to sit next to the people that yeah. they play D and D with. Yeah, work on their character backstories. So at the very beginning of Adam 2.0's pitch, he said um, something about you know without screens. Oh, yeah. I wonder how many parents are sold <laughs> right at that minute. Yeah, and you know true. exactly what you're doing it, when it you is, say that. It is absolutely. I will often, um, when I'm talking to a parent, I will often repeat it several times as well. Like throughout yeah. throughout that little pitch, I will I will say they're they're sitting That's down hilarious. with a character sheet. Yeah. Remember, there's no screens uh-huh. at all, so it's, it's <laughs> and a pencil yeah. and a pencil. Yeah. Uh, yeah. It's it's Number definitely. Two, yeah. I mean, we have we have players that um, their only other activity that they like to do is just play video games, um, and often solo video games. Yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. They're just playing a game by themselves, um, and so like coming to the group means they're um, sitting and chatting with people, and and we'll we'll hear stories from parents where they'll say like, um, they I don't I don't have to convince them to get off the game to come to this group. I don't have to make it a sell. I don't have to mm. bribe them or, mm. or, or try to get them on board. Like I say, uh, we have to leave in five minutes to, to make it to the, to the game to grow group. And they're, they're ready to go. Um, and that's, that's yeah. an amazing experience for, for many of these kids. This is enough of a fun and engaging and, and wonderful social activity um, that they uh, will give up on those other things. And otherwise they will fight tooth and nail to yeah. hold on to. And it's it's an amazing thing for a lot of the kids to feel like their presence matters. Um, if they do, you know, if, if a day comes when they're struggling with their depression or anxiety and they decide not to come, um, I can almost guarantee that the next time they show up, their teammates go, "Hey, we missed you. We needed you. You know, you're our healer. You, you're you're our fighter. We didn't have anybody who could do ranged attacks." Um, so even uh, even if you know it's, it's purely mechanical <laughs> yeah. uh, to, to on the on the outside, it still feels really good for a lot of people to be missed, mm. to be wanted, and for a lot of our players, that doesn't happen at school. It doesn't happen yeah. in the community. The thing I keep thinking about as you guys have been sharing about your experiences doing you know, therapy through D and D is that um, I can't help but think like there's a lot yeah. of adults that would benefit <laughs> from this. Um, I'm sure there's. I assume there's probably some people. Have you guys done any of this with? I'm sure there's people out there doing that. Or have you guys done any any of the um, same so kind of things we, with adults? So we, our groups actually range in age all the way from eight um, up to early twenties. So we've seen some sort of emerging adults within okay. within our groups. There, there's sort of a, an additional barrier to entry, and this is um, true for therapy as well, um, where a lot of um, kids are brought in by their parents um, for that initial piece um, before they're mm-hmm. invested, um, and uh, the parents are willing to. Um, 
take that hurdle because they see the issues that are going on. Adults don't really do that as much for themselves. Yeah. They don't they don't really take care of themselves the mm. same way that parents do. Yeah. Their kids. They say it takes seven years for mm-hmm. somebody to before they finally decide to go to therapy. From the first time they think about maybe I should go to therapy and they finally make that first oh, appointment. Yeah. It takes seven mm. years. Yeah, I just you know, I wonder if there's a lot of people out there who would who are thinking like maybe it's maybe this isn't true, but who are putting off therapy and kind of have this like biting, you know, and the thing in the back of their head of like, I really should probably seek help. I should talk to somebody. Um, if they knew they could do some of these types of things in this, in, in like a game setting and a Dungeons yeah. and Dragons setting, maybe well, they'd be like, oh, we've, we've actually been, like that. I said before, we do <laughs> lots know. of consultations and we've done some consultations with school groups where um, like college college groups where what they're doing with the Dungeons and Dragons group is not even therapy through D&D, but they're providing a mm-hmm. social support space where before and after the game, they can check in about how life is going, especially for like emerging adults who are going to college and leaving right. home for the first time and experiencing independence. They can just have a social support space mm-hmm. and then the game is held in a place mm-hmm. where there's also resources. So they can go to the student union building, which, you know, upstairs is the college counselor the therapist uh, who's on staff so they can go to a place every week and they can see the bulletin board that says hey if you need some support check it out Um, and then over that to sort of expedite the process and and reduce the loneliness for for kids in college we're also working um part of part of the goals for game to grow in the coming months is to expand our services into other avenues and so where adam and i have have almost all of our experience has been with, you know, kids, teens, and emerging adults. We're expanding, um, we're incorporating Jared and Elizabeth Kilmer, who are actually on a panel with us at um, at PAX South, who are using Dungeons and Dragons with okay. kids, but they're also using it with veterans. And those veterans are in ages up to their 70s. Hmm. Oh, yeah, I think I heard about that. Yeah. Yeah, that's great. That's really cool. Because I think like, um, we live in a culture now and there's all this research about it too. And it, you know, I don't never know exactly what to make of the research, you know, but there's all these, you see these headlines that talk about how we're more connected than ever before because of social media and cell phones and all that kind of stuff. But we're yeah. like ours is a really lonely generation where people aren't like, don't feel like they have close personal friends and stuff. Um, and so, like, when I have conversations with people about that kind of stuff, one of the things I find myself constantly telling people is, like, like join a board game group. Like, go find some people and play board games with them. Like, mm-hmm. um, if you're, you know, it can be really hard to have, like, a, a regular group of friends um, when you're an adult. You know, I'm in my mid-30s, and it, it that feels, mm-hmm. and I have kids, so it feels, like, really hard to hang out with other people of my same life stage. Like, I got to figure out, like, babysitting and i gotta figure out um or or like ask my wife like hey um is it you know is it okay if i go out with some guys and do something because you know um yeah we we share the burden of raising our children um and so you know if people just knew like hey you like we need an excuse almost really these days to like spend meaningful time with people because we think we are spending time with people online when it's really it's it's not the same you know so, um, you know, I think board games, board games and D&D especially provide some really great like opportunities just to. Yeah, and I, I mean, a, I think the, the lonely, I think. Um, experience that we're getting where we're connecting with people online is a very superficial experience. Um, we, we never get to build those deeper mm-hmm, relationships. Yeah. But when you sit down at a table with people, um, you get, especially on a regular basis, you get a much deeper understanding of them as individuals. And a lot of that is just nonverbal communication that you that you get to yeah. pick up on. You can tell when somebody is, mm-hmm. you know, has a little less um, uh, patience and frustration tolerance to, to bring into their game this week. Um, and you can tell when they when they come in and they're mm-hmm. like um, really excited about something. And maybe even you have a lot of those conversations before you sit down and start playing the games or while you're setting up the pieces um, or even while you're playing the game. All of a sudden you get a chance to, to connect over um, personal things and personal ideas and find out more about them as, as an individual and, and connect in a very human way. And that's just, you know, playing Monopoly together, you can you can get some of that experience. I don't recommend Monopoly, but <laughs> you, you, oh, yeah. you can. <laughs> yeah, well, let's, yeah. <laughs> you just triggered Chris. I, yeah. <laughs> oh, I actually love Monopoly. 
But that's because Do I'm, really? I'm a, well, yeah, but that's because I'm super competitive <laughs> and an absolute deal anytime I play games. So here's what I, here's, here's my, here's my logic. And this is logic probably. Uh, I can't, I can't be mean in real life. You know, I need to be like a good person, but man, the gloves are off. If I'm playing a game, like I'm going to be just backstabbing son of a gun, <laughs> do whatever it takes to win. Yeah. And Monopoly <laughs> is perfect for that. I can attest that this is true. <laughs> having played secret, having played secret. And Adam and John's can attest times. that I'm the same way when I play games. Um, I, uh, um, Adam and I have played uh, yeah. a few times in, in personal games with each other. Um, and in one game that we played, uh, a game of, of Dungeons and Dragons that we played together with some friends, um, I was the dungeon master and Adam was playing a character that was sort of a shapeshifter and could change his face and uh, be whoever he needed to be in a moment, which was perfect for him because then he could just play, he could just use whatever voice, goofy character voice he wanted to use <laughs> or, or whatever. Um, and he mostly used that character to be so mean to all of my NPCs. <laughs> Uh, like the entire time and Adam is just the <laughs> nicest guy in the world um, and so watching him like like play a character where yeah. I, I would be like a like a like a shopkeeper or something or or, um, or I would be uh, um, uh, I think I was a lime salesman <laughs> at some point you were like shopping and you found a lime salesman we needed limes for something. we yeah. needed limes for something um, and uh, and the lime salesman was just like um, hello, welcome. Uh, come and come and uh, buy my limes. And Adam just berated him like crazy. The you call these time. limes? <laughs> oh, I'm, I'm so sorry. I, I didn't. I, uh, are you unhappy with the limes? <laughs> they look more like lemons. <laughs> well, I'm these call are, yourself these a are lime sort of... <laughs> And it was it, what was great about it was I super enjoyed it because I would just uh, let all of my characters be terribly berated, um, and that was just a part of the the exchange. And it was a great opportunity for Adam to. To like get out some of that, some of that stuff that he doesn't get to have in other parts of his it life. was a, it was a catharsis character for me. I at the time I was uh, yeah. working. Uh, <laughs> it was before Game to Grow had been fully funded, so we were Adam and I were both had having other jobs. So in addition to running uh, therapeutic social skills groups, I was also a full time fourth grade teacher. So all of my life was about caretaking and about taking you know being super nice and taking care of everybody. So like just to be horrible mm -hmm. for the sake of being horrible was just like a great, a great catharsis and Adam and I were playing it was never there was never any hard feelings between us um it was just like I was just being super mean um to all of his characters um, that was actually a super interesting character that I got to play too because part of being a teacher and a group facilitator and you know somebody who's in a therapeutic role is that we're oftentimes wearing masks that's what we do we we, we are the person we need to be for our clients or for yeah. our students and my character was that person my character could transform at will into anybody he needed to be to meet the situation and that's like totally something that adam davis does in his personal and professional life a bit too much so it was interesting to go on that character's journey where yeah. Elbrin Moonshadow, his his like deep down character arc was that he he never showed his true face to anybody, um, which is sort of how I was mm -hmm. living in my both personal and professional life. So the the character arc for Elbrin ended up being that mm -hmm. uh, he eventually showed his real face to his teammates, and that was like a huge moment of of character arc where it was like emotional <laughs> for for me as yeah. a personal human being to be like. This is me, everyone. Here I am in uh -huh. all of my like ugliness and my because you know El Elbrin was a, yeah. a Jabrin who had like pointy Baraka from Mortal Kombat style teeth, um, and he was kind of kind of grotesque looking. But it was like part of mm -hmm. the the sort of therapeutic journey that I personally was getting out of that character was like, hey, this is me. I'm sometimes I'm sometimes I'm not beautiful and sometimes I'm not nice, and this was me. There was there was a great moment in that in that campaign where. Hmm. Um, the moment where you decided you were going to show your real face uh, was like all the all the characters were meeting back up again. Um, it was actually the start of a new campaign, and uh, uh, Elbrin came in, and then I think one of the other characters responded to him by saying like, um, "Elbrin, is that you?" Um, and uh, he was like, "Yeah," and they were like, "Well, come on over, come sit with us, have a drink." <laughs> it was like this this great like sort of pause moment of of like, um, of course you should come come be by us, even though. Uh, you don't look like the the Elbrin the way that we we remember you looking. Yeah, I'd be curious to hear about because we talked about um, 
how games give us the opportunity to be different than maybe we would be in real life and to experiment with some, some things. Um, and Adam Davis, he talked about this on the um, panel at PAX South that I attended, the one on avatars. Um, I think there's like a lot of, because we have a good bit, uh, we told you this before, we have a good bit of Christians that listen to this podcast. And I think there's some fear amongst like some Christians that, that's like something you should never do like you like you should never be mean in a game or should never uh like be anything other than like your best self or whatever in in when you play a game um i'm screwed then but but i think like like i just be curious to hear you guys <laughs> respond to that because i think you know you, you seem to see some value in like pushing yourself to be a bit different or to tr- experiment like they these are spaces where we can experiment with what it would be like to be um you know to to have a different persona or um you know even to do some things that maybe like from a quote-unquote like christian uh, worldview or whatever wouldn't be considered moral right sure um in the context that i was i was playing elbrin it was about catharsis largely um yeah. in that case i don't want to be mean to the kids i have no desire to do that at all um it's just exhausting it you know it's tiring that's that's like the sort yeah. of burden of someone who lives a life of service is it's yep. it's hard to always hold space for somebody else that's that's oh it's trust exhausting. me i think there's a lot of teachers that yeah. <laughs> totally relate to that totally yeah. that's that's the calling right that's the calling yep. and the calling is is a life of service but it's exhausting and mm-hmm. sometimes it just feels like it's just catharsis um and i don't think there's anything uh, fundamentally wrong with that um in that context especially when it's uh in the in the sort of safe container of a game where nothing's going to leak out or bleed out into the real world from that um, necessarily. Um, yeah. And it's important for people to stick up for themselves too. So there is definitely a sense through which I can translate sort of a, a metaphorical, allegorical shift of like, hey, Adam, uh, sometimes I'm speaking to myself right now. Um, it's okay to be yourself. Sometimes yeah. it's okay to to express your anger or express like set some boundaries, those kinds of things, which I was expressing metaphorically through Elbrin's like being mean or being uh, um, not not being flexible at all. Um, some of those things are like things that are worthwhile for me to experiment with. Um, and Adam and I had established a safe space, and especially with the rest of our our group members who are like my wife um, and our our <laughs> close close friends. Um, it was uh, it was a place where we were all just playing, and that um, there w- there wasn't anything that I was like being mean to Adam, and then Adam was having to talk to me afterwards and say, "Hey, like I didn't like that. I felt I felt like the like the lines were blurred or crossed or something like that." So we had a really that's mm-hmm. that's a really important part of it is uh, there's a concept that sometimes um, is used with people who are using. Um, games in this kind of way which they they refer to it as bleed where things sort of have a a blurred line between what's in the game and what's outside the game and that's that's Mm going to happen no matter what you're always going to have some sort of crossover some blur between reality and game and the more you can look at it label it and name it the better Um, there's also something to be said for consequences and what consequences are and sometimes consequences can be rewarding or they can be punishing and if i am the game master and i see like a young person playing with consequences that's what they, that's what they're needing. They're needing to establish that their actions matter and that they're doing something that has an impact on the world. That's a big developmental leap for young people to realize that they matter and that their words mm-hmm. matter and that people care about the things they want. So when they want to steal something or burn a building down in a game, I could reward that by saying, it's awesome, yay, you can steal things. Um, and that might be a, a bad thing to reinforce for their real life, to not care about what other people think and feel. But in the game, if they do that, then it's my job as a game master and sort of a molder of young people to show what what happens. Um, mm-hmm. I'll also add in, just in the idea of masks, that a big part of that experience is about the exploration of who you are. Um, this, yeah. this is something, I mean, it, it comes up much more in uh, uh, middle school and high school age uh, kids as they're really trying to figure out who they are as people. Um, mm-hmm. And the opportunity to try on um, uh, what does it mean to be this kind of person or what does it mean to, to be this kind of thing, um, that's very significant. We, we don't get a lot of chances to, to just be someone else for a little while. Um, and see what that's like. And that opportunity is, is both important for being able to understand other people, 
um, but is also important for being able to figure out who you are and what's what's important to you. So many of the of the characters that we play when you when you come in and you um, uh, act in a role or take on a role of, of something else, they're an opportunity to to continue to grow and improve yourself. Um, there, there's obviously mm-hmm. um, a lot uh, to be said for what it is to be a good person, um, but. Uh, as humans, I think we're we're on a journey to figure out how we improve or how we grow constantly throughout our lives, um, and that's not always an easy question to answer. It's not always easy, not only to make the right choice, but to even understand what the right choice is. Um, and there's a lot of gray area for um, the differences between people. Um, I can point mm-hmm. to a lot of people and say those are good people, but they're different, and they come about their perspectives very differently. Um, but in order to, to discover those things, right. it helps to be able to put on a, 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 another face for a little while and say, oh, okay, this is what, what it is to, to have that perspective or this is what it is to have that understanding. Yeah. yeah, yeah, I appreciate that because I think, you know, um, as you do that, you'll di- you'll I think you'll discover things about yourself and it's not like, I think there's this fear of amongst some Christian folks of like if if they if if my kid like experiments with you know playing i don't know some game as an evil character then they're gonna want to be evil (laughs) like they're gonna go do evil things in the real world my my Um, response would be did playing cops and robbers as a kid make you want to be a robber (laughs) right yeah yeah no that's that's exactly right like i think we all have done that and and uh you know it's yeah, it's a uh, play gives us those opportunities to 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 do those kinds of things in a safe a safe place, and we figure out. I think most most kids when they do that they figure out like, oh, well, I don't want to be that way in the real world. Like it actually has the opposite effect. Uh, it seems so. Um, and and many times when we, when we see this is it is something something that sometimes comes up with um, parents. You know, they don't they aren't watching their kid play play the game. Um, and they uh, will sometimes hear stories about stuff that happens in the game, and you know there's combat in the game, and sometimes the the players are are um, uh, fighting against uh, you know hordes of bad guys or things like that. And um, the parents hear about some of those things and want to know what the what the context is. Um, and a lot of times that's right. the the real root of many of those things are an opportunity for choice, an opportunity to have power and opportunity to impact the world in a significant way. Um, uh, and those come out through the game and being able to, you know, um, defeat your foes. Uh, but they're really yeah. about the exploration of like, what does it mean that I can, I can impact the world? Yeah, yeah, definitely. That's cool. Well, uh, I really enjoyed chatting with you guys. It's, uh, I love what you guys do. Um, I'm thrilled that, we're uh, exposing our listeners to these ideas and um, yeah. Uh, what, what's a way like someone can get involved in what you guys so do? So if you want to know more about Game to Grow, you can go to gametogrow.org. Uh, we have on there a lot more about the groups that we run. Um, some of our previous uh, podcasts and panels we've been on are, are, are linked to from our website. Uh, there's also a uh, contact us page if you have any questions or you want to get some more uh, tips and tricks for how you can make your own life or the, your community better through gaming, send us a message. And we, there's also a support page. So we are a 501c3 nonprofit and you could help us uh, not only keep the lights on, but help more kids. If you can uh, make a donation or even changing your Amazon to smile.amazon.com can go a long way. Mm-hmm. There you go, very cool. And uh, you guys are both on Twitter. Do you want to mention like your Twitter or any personal like places? Our main t- uh, Twitter for Game to Grow is at Game to Grow. Game T O Grow. Um, you can find me, Adam Davis, at at Sparks for Sharks. Um, and you can find me, Adam Johns, at <laughs> at Adam Johns. Is actually just my name. <laughs> Adam, <laughs> I was an early Twitter. So, I was not an early adopter. Rolls, so rolls Adam Davis, believe it or not, is was very taken. <laughs> Yeah, 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 yeah. I uh, on Twitter, I thought it was cool back in the day to put my the year of my birth. So, <laughs> Drew Dixon eighty two. If you want to do the math, <laughs> figure out how old I am, you can do that. Uh, Chris is not on Twitter because he's lame. No, he's probably just smart. 
That's what, what it Chris, is. Chris yep. wants to have genuine yeah. and deep connections with people. Rather than that's right. That's Get rid of the screen. Yeah. Socially mediated experience uh, through technology. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. He'd rather just play Twilight Imperium with people for seven <laughs> yep. hours. Yep, that's so, that's a deep experience. That's Chris. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, it is a committed experience. That's for sure. Hey, some of us uh, are trying to live our best life now. So, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, you can follow Love Thy Nerd on all the social medias. Just search for at Love Thy Nerd. Uh, we also have a really great Facebook community called Love Thy Nerd Community on Facebook. So if you want to go talk to nerds about nerdy things, that's a great place to do it. Um, we have a podcast network that you should check out. We have Free Play Podcast, which is kind of a general nerd culture podcast that gets into all kinds of stuff. Also kind of keeps you up to date to what's going on in the world of Love Thy Nerd. Then we also have The Pull List, which is our comic book podcast, which is also really great. So go follow all those. Go rate and review us on iTunes. That would be hugely helpful for us. Um, and also, please uh, just spread the word about this podcast and about Love Thy Nerd on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, um, whatever else you use. Uh, Snapchat. Uh, what are the kids Snapchat. these days? Snapchat. Yeah, go tell people on Snapchat. So, uh, we don't really have a Snapchat. I'm scared of it. So, uh, so there you go. Uh, and that's basically a press, I think. So, uh, thanks, Adams. This was yeah, really great. Thanks. thanks for having me.